0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good
1: morning, welcome to Talkbox. Here are your headlines today. Pfizer says its COVID vaccine provides protection against the Omicron variant, but warns that a third and possibly fourth dose may be required for the best outcome.
2: The efficacy is very high, but there are treatments around. No, I'm optimistic. We have been preparing for that and we are going to to, to, to win this battle as well.
1: UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announces Plan B, reintroducing work from home guidance, mask wearing and vaccine passes. As the government warns, Omicron cases could hit one million this month.
0: Chinese consumer inflation jumps at its fastest pace in over a year, driven by rising food costs. But factory gate prices are cooling. And reports the U.S. Department of Justice has warned Deutsche Bank it may have breached the terms of its criminal settlement over a complaint at its asset management unit.
1: Pfizer and BioNTech have announced that a three-dose course of their COVID vaccine is able to neutralise the Omicron variant. The firm said that while two doses aren't as effective on their own, they may still be able to protect against severe disease. They will know later this month whether a booster dose is enough to fight the variant or if a new vaccine is required. Any new vaccine could be available by March. Though Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla told CNBC in a First On interview that a fourth dose could also be required. President Biden welcomed the news. The Pfizer lab report came
0: back saying that the expectation is that the existing vaccines protect against Omicron, but if you get the booster, you're
3: really in good shape. And so that's very encouraging. There more, that's the lab report.
0: That's the lab report. There's more study going on. But that's very, very encouraging.
1: Let's get out to Juliana for more. Juliana, we've been waiting for information from scientists about the impact of Omicron on the various uh, vaccines that have been administered. So we did get a piece of the information yesterday from Pfizer and BioNTech. That's right, Karen. And you'll remember
4: that fateful Friday and two weeks ago, um, right when we got news of the Omicron variant, Pfizer and BioNTech came out and said that we should have data uh, two weeks from then, which brought us to yesterday. So we got some preliminary lab study results from Pfizer and BioNTech and they were mixed. And I say mixed because um, when it comes to the two dose series that people have been given so far, they did see a significant reduction in the production of neutralizing antibodies against the Omicron variant compared to earlier strains. The good news, though, that when people were given a third dose, a booster shot, those neutralizing antibodies were restored, and they saw a 25-fold increase in protection. So what can we take away from this? Well, in terms of severe disease, they still believe that a two-dose series will provide good protection, but this will be in large part due to the T-cell response uh, of the body. When it comes to protecting against infection, though, uh, Pfizer and BioNTech saying that these early studies suggest that a third dose is going to be needed. Um, This puts a lot more pressure on governments to roll out booster programs and also um, leaves an open question around what happens with those countries around the world that don't have access to third doses at this stage. Now, meanwhile, you mentioned, Karen, the Omicron variant-specific vaccine that is in development. We heard from Pfizer and BioNTech yesterday that they have begun working on this vaccine. We already knew that, but what we heard yesterday is that they're on track to deliver this vaccine by March 2020. Take a listen to what the Pfizer CEO, Albert Bourla, had to say about this vaccine.
0: We are getting enough conclusions to believe that uh, when, if there is a need for an Omicron, which are working, that should be a very good one. Uh, I think we should have a good uh, uh, chances if we need an Omicron vaccine to have it in March, to be very, very effective, and that we will not lose any of our 4 billion annual capacity if we have to switch to an Omicron vaccine.
4: At this point, it's not clear whether we will need a Omicron-specific vaccine or a multivalent vaccine, one that protects against various different forms of the virus. Um, But one of the big questions that is going to uh, linger on the back of these study results published yesterday is um, to what extent the immunity provided by even the third dose, um, to what extent that immunity wanes over time, like we've seen with the two doses. So that's where the fourth potential booster comes in and one of the big question marks that will remain unanswered for some time. Um, Pfizer and BioNTech said more study results are expected in the coming weeks. This, again, was just lab studies, very early stage. Um, But overall, a good sign that with the booster shots, we are seeing uh, protection preserved.
1: Karen? Juliana, thank you very much for running us through the latest there. Let's get uh, another voice. Uh, Danny Altman joins us, Professor of Immunology, uh, Imperial College, London. Danny, uh, thank you very much for joining us again today. We've had some very encouraging information for market participants at this stage that vaccines do work at some point and also that we've got programs rolling out in various places for booster shots. But what did you make of the information that Pfizer produced in combination with uh, further restrictions announced in the UK yesterday?
2: I, th- I think, you know, we we are where we are, aren't we? So, so the Omicron data is is enormously worrying. Um, for example, you know, in the UK, in terms of this 2.5 day doubling time, and yet the immunology, in some ways, looks little worse than where we were with Delta. As in, if you're a, an unvaccinated person or a two dose vaccinated person who's waned, you've got essentially baseline protection, little protection against infection. If you're a person who gets boosted or has two doses plus prior infection, you're probably going to be in the safe protective zone. And that's looking true now in three different Omicron studies and in Delta studies.
1: So if we weigh up where we're at then, even in the UK, I mean, a lot of AstraZeneca uh, vaccines were administered and the the third round is some form of a a Pfizer or or something else, Moderna. So what does that mean in terms of the timeline here? Because we've not rolled out those third doses
2: yeah i I think what it means is is that um it 's urgent and we just need to encourage people to take this seriously. There is an escape route it 's not an easy escape route the escape route is to, is to have enough neutralizing antibodies on board. You can do it if you 've had three exposures and it's been it 's been a bit plodding hasn 't it you know, It could be faster, and we could have more people on three doses.
0: Um, Danny, let me uh, jump in at this point. I- I'm very interested in-, in the detection of Omicron. Um, I-, I keep hearing anecdotal cases of people who are taking PCR tests and get positives but get no lateral flow positive or the other way around. And I'm wondering are the tests, the diagnostic kits that we're currently using, good at recognising this new variant?
2: Um, up to a point, yes, but as ever it gets more complex and more challenging so the, 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 the simple answers are that on the whole the lateral flow test holds up and the PCR tests have become complicated haven't they, because on the one hand One of the diagnostic features of Omicron was the dropout of this S-band. But on the other hand, we now have some variants of Omicron that do have an S-band, and not everything with a dropout is Omicron. So work that one out. It's got complex, and we need to rise to the occasion.
0: So in our world, we're looking at a a universe of financial markets that are now getting very excited because they believe that Omicron is not a significant threat to populations in the way that Delta was or Beta originally appeared to be. Are they drawing the right conclusion here? Can we can we safely say at this stage that even as we are working on vaccines and the uh, immunological response, we shouldn't be too worried about the potency of this particular variant.
2: Well, it's, it's, it's a state of, of kind of an ongoing plateau of worry, isn't it, about the, about the, about the, about the whole thing. But um, data comes from many sources, doesn't it? It comes from the caseload and the strain on the health service and the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths and the lab tests. And those are all coming through thick and fast, certainly by the, by the new year. And, and, and then we build a picture. But um, it, I suppose where I stand is is probably bad news, but not considerably worse than where we were before.
1: So Danny, what does that mean in terms of progress? Because we're getting to this point of living with the virus, resuming natural activities, including going out to bars, restaurants, uh, leisure activities, going overseas, hopping on a plane when we wanted to for business or leisure. Do you think some of this has to change short term because of the information that's crossing?
2: Well, short term, sure, as in, you know, in the UK, I think most of us were very pleased to see those plan B restrictions finally coming in yesterday. But for me, the, the, the medium to long term view is that we still have astoundingly good vaccines that are essentially going to hold up if we use them right and share them right. And that is our escape route. And, and we will escape.
1: When it comes to sharing, though, you mentioned, you know, sharing these vaccines correctly. We've already got vaccine inequity taking place around the world in parts of the developing world that do not have access to first, second doses, let alone a third at this point. And we're talking about waning immunity and potential need for a fourth dose for a lot of developed countries. Does that set the scene that we're going to be in this sort of situation for longer where the world doesn't have adequate vaccines?
2: Well, you know, I don't know how to say it loudly enough and clearly enough to try and get it taken seriously that um, I don't think we do have a shortfall um, if we use them properly. So in other words, if we share them out rather than stockpiling them and then throwing them away unused. And that's not an act of altruism. That's an act of, if you like, of of self-interest, because as long as we have parts of the world for the virus to spread and new variants to come from, we're never, ever going to get out of this.
0: And, Danny, I've heard an argument that um, part of the reason that we, we need to get on top of this variant is that it has the potential to um, create further variants with more complex protein structures. Is, is that a reasonable argument as to why we actually need to get tough on Omicron and increase the restrictions on its transmission?
2: That, that is quite a good argument. I mean, all, all of the, um, the variants, if you like, are are incremental, aren't they? And if this one takes hold, um, the next variant can become the son of the son of this one. And in fact, we're already seeing a, 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 a son of Omicron variant uh, around the the one with the the different um, S dropout result. So um, yes, um, absolutely, we need to get on top of it.
0: And, and in terms of the information that we we've where we started this conversation with Juliana, just explaining the progress that appears to be being made with Pfizer, BioNTech. Um, can we draw any conclusions at all? I know it's early doors, but any conclusions at all then about the uh, more traditional um, vaccines that AstraZeneca has brought to us, that uh, their effectiveness may be uh, less than uh, what we see with Pfizer and BioNTech?
2: No, I I I certainly don't draw any conclusions like that at the moment. My conclusions are that our first generation vaccines have done a simply amazing job at getting us through this first period. And now all of us have a chance to take a deep breath and look at where we've got to and look at what's working and what's not and quite what the next generation vaccines are going to look like. And there are hundreds of ideas out there in development and we'll have to see how that plays out.
1: Danny, I also want to ask your full thoughts on the situation in Japan, because a lot of people are sitting back saying, have you got a, a, a case in Japan where the uh, coronavirus uh, has managed to short circuit itself, that you've know, seen wide circulation of it uh, and it's mutated and that's it. So we've had a successful turn of events around coronavirus. How are you interpreting the, the facts that have been coming through from Japan?
2: Yes, it's possible. You know, that's part of the the natural history of a virus. And what can I say? Um, All of the experts, including myself, have have sometimes been surprised by all the twists and turns of the story in the last two years. And there are many, many twists and turns still to come. And we just have to um, keep our eye on the ball.
0: Okay, we're going to wrap it up, Professor. It's been really good catching up with you once again. Thanks so much for helping us out, um, trying to figure out what we do with Omicron. Professor Danny Altman, Professor of Immunology at Imperial College London. Uh, Well, let's go back to that um, uh, Plan B, if you like, that Boris Johnson has set in place now. The UK Prime Minister um, has implemented further coronavirus restrictions in England. The announcement came just hours after a senior A resigned following allegations of rule breaking among government officials during last winter's lockdown. The timing was unfortunate because a lot of uh, cynical people suggested that maybe this was the Prime Minister trying to cover his tracks with a fresh Covid announcement, even as he was under pressure in Prime, Minister, Prime Minister's Questions times, uh, question time to address this issue of whether there were illegal parties in Downing Street. Let's talk about Plan B, though. The uh, measures under Plan B uh, bring in work from home guidance uh, once again. So that is now being reintroduced. Work from home if you can. Covid passports will be required for large events and mask mandates will be extended to most public venues if uh, they have in excess of uh, 500 people present. At a press conference, uh, Johnson cited the rise of the Omicron variant amid warnings from the health secretary that the true number of cases is closer to 10,000 than the figure reported. It's become increasingly clear that Omicron is growing much faster than the previous Delta variant and it's spreading rapidly all around the world. 568 cases have been confirmed through genomic sequencing across every region of the UK, and the true number is certain to be much higher.
1: In the United States, the Senate passed a measure paving the way for Republicans to overturn President Biden's private sector vaccine and testing mandate. But the Democrat-led House is expected to reject the measure, and the Biden administration has said it will veto it in any case.
0: We have some very strong inflation numbers coming out of China, both at the factory gate and at the CPI level. We're going to talk about those in just a minute. Um, Perhaps, just perhaps, some evidence finally that factory gate prices are rolling over. But it might be a little bit too early to make that call. We'll be back to tell you more about the story.
1: And for more on Pfizer and all the latest in the fight against COVID variants, you can listen in to our Squawk podcast.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Well, we ought to talk about these inflation numbers. Uh, We are refocusing, it seems, back on how central banks are going to act and whether we need to be concerned about imported inflation from China. Well, the factory gate inflation price appeared to cool in November amid the government's crackdown on commodity prices. The producer price index, or the PPI, rose 12.9 percent, compared to a nearly 30-year high, which was recorded in October. That print began with a 13-handle. Meanwhile, consumer prices picked up from the previous month to a more than one-month high. Well, the Chinese uh, equity markets are hanging on to gains this hour. We've also seen, obviously, the uh, yuan at uh, uh, multi-year highs uh, through this week. Let's get out to uh, Sam, who can tell us a little bit more about what this perhaps rolling over of factory gate prices indicate, given that ultimately they do feed through to that CPI number. Good morning, Sam.
3: Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, perhaps this is a sign that inflation has peaked, but economists are saying that it's perhaps a little bit too early to tell because those producer prices do remain elevated, certainly signalling continued upstream price pressure on those factories. But as you say, we have seen a degree of moderation now, particularly when it came to the year on year number. And that was largely as the energy crunch and also some of those high raw material costs did start to ease largely off the back of a a big government intervention campaign, of course, China has been ramping up coal production to try to stabilise those coal prices. Right now I can see they're trading at around 670 yuan per tonne compared to that nearly 2,000 yuan per tonne. We did see at those record high prices in the middle of October. Certainly officials have said that those easing energy prices have led to a drop of prices elsewhere when it comes to steel and aluminium. So that's largely what factored into that factory inflation that we got today. Of course Beijing has been trying to rein in these unreasonable prices hikes that's what they're calling them uh, to prevent any pass through to the Chinese consumer and that still seems to be working because so far the sticker shock is still limited those consumer prices coming in at at 2.3 percent higher that is still a noticeable lift from October's 1.5 percent but still as I say limited pass through from the PPI to the CPI now that uh, pickup was largely down to a jump in food inflation that rose 1.6 percent pork still fell which largely influences that uh, CPI headline number, but it was those vegetable prices that absolutely soared off the back of bad weather in China and also some of these uh, restrictions around uh, COVID. Non-food prices uh, also continued to rise at 2.5% higher off the back of these uh, rising fuel prices that we have seen, but certainly uh, the CPI, those consumer prices, do remain fairly uh, modest or muted, as we do know, as we've seen in the latest PMI numbers, that domestic demand still remains remains weak because of the uncertain path of the virus and Beijing's uh, zero-COVID approach. And in that case, economists say the central bank uh, will continue its uh, sort of uh, easing mode that we have seen, largely because the core inflation, which of course we know uh, strips out some of that volatility when it comes to the energy and food prices, that still remains pretty weak and much lower than other advanced economies uh, like the US. But also the central bank are likely to uh, continue this uh, sort of monetary easing study that we have seen uh, with that triple R cut that we saw uh, this week uh, because of the price moderation uh, when it comes to factory inflation. But uh, certainly that uh, data today helping lift the markets uh, over on the mainland now for a third uh, straight day, uh, certainly off the back of some of that encouraging uh, signals that we have been getting from the PBOC when it comes to that triple R cut. Karen?
1: Sam, some in the market thought that triple R cut was a U-turn from the central bank, and the Wall Street Journal has a, a fascinating piece today. It's talking about whether the independence of the central bank is very much in question now, whether it's just an extension of the government, and saying that discipline inspectors of President Xi have also visited the PBOC along with other financial institutions.
3: Yeah, Karen, this is such a fascinating story. I totally agree. There has been some suggestion in the Wall Street Journal report that perhaps the PBOC's arm was twisted somewhat. The central bank was pressured into actually making that decision about making that triple R cut earlier in the week off the back of a lot of these rising concerns from authorities about slowing economic growth because uh, what the Wall Street Journal has now said is that the Communist Party officials from the powerful anti-corruption agencies actually paid a visit to the PBOC's HQ in downtown Beijing. They asked them a lot of questions, apparently. They also went through their documents and made it abundantly clear that Beijing has a low tolerance to any sort of independence and that the bank does answer to the party. Now, many are probably wondering, well, of course, the PBOC does answer to the party, but the Wall Street Journal actually made it pretty clear that the PBOC, unlike uh, other government uh, departments, uh, does actually uh, get the go-ahead from the authorities in China, but it does have a large degree uh, of sort of a special status. It does have a lot of credibility, uh, certainly among investors, but uh, there has been some suggestion now that that standing uh, by the PBOC will now be stripped away. The PBOC is reportedly not the only one facing scrutiny though, but certainly uh, it is arguably the most significant here and certainly in terms of how to read this, this does come uh, as President Xi Jinping is trying to curb financial risk uh, over in China, but I think this largely under underscores this campaign that we have seen particularly under President Xi Jinping pushing domestic policy uh, certainly towards the party and trying to get a tighter grip uh, certainly on more parts of the economy.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.